0: Well, good morning, church family. Awesome. It's great to be together worshiping again as a church family and to getting into the word together as we are in this series called Life on Mission, a few weeks into it. It was encouraging to, you know, last week we talked about um, finding a friend, being a friend, and drawing that friend to Christ, being missional in our local sphere of influence. And today, I'm thrilled to have uh, more guests with us. We have from overseas, or OMF, which is Overseas Missionary Fellowship, we have Steve Weems with us, Steve Kim, and Kirsten McLean. Would you three stand and let everybody see who you are? Would you welcome them this morning? Thank you, guys. OMF is an incredible missionary organization that has been around for a long time. Uh, and they have done most of their work primarily in, in, around Asia, and uh, they've done incredible things. And Steve, who is going to be sharing this morning, uh, Steve Weems has been with OMF for 35 years and spent 22 of those years in Japan as a missionary. And so a lot of times as we think about our life on mission as Sheboyganites in Sheboygan County, Wisconsin, and we think about, you know, missionary work, that's what the missionaries go do, and they're passionate about it, and more power to you, go do your thing, and yeah, I'll focus more on the local mission here. Not that it's wrong to focus, of course, it's good to focus on the local mission here, but what I appreciate about what Steve is going to share with us is how all of us, even if we are not those who go, do have um, not, not some small part to play, but a significant um, part to play and the lives of those around the world and reaching them with the good news of Jesus Christ. So, Word of Grace, would you welcome Steve as he comes this morning to share with us?
1: Thank you again, Stephen. Really appreciate the very great privilege to be able to be here with you this morning. Thank you. I come from uh, Fresno, California. Um, It's 110 yesterday. so. It feels really nice here, so I just wanted to enjoy that here. I'd like to start off today by telling you my missionary story very briefly. I'm from Louisiana, and after college, I went on to uh, Southern California on Campus Crusade staff. I met my wife, Kathy, in Riverside, California. We got married in 1983, so we just celebrated 40 years. After our two kids were born, we joined OMF International, Overseas Missionary Fellowship. Our church sent us out to Japan in 1989. We both started off teaching at the Christian Academy in Japan, a school for missionary kids that's in Tokyo. My wife taught uh, math there for 20 years. I taught there social studies, Bible, lots of different kinds of things. I was there for eight years. And then just as our kids were getting into high school, I switched to church planting. It was hard work because my Japanese language was so poor at that time. But my kids and my wife helped a lot, and we had a great experience there. Both of our kids graduated from the Christian Academy in Japan. They returned to California, to Fresno, California, uh, t- for university. I went, Kathy and I went back, and I continued my ministry of evangelism and discipleship, building up local believers for a few more years. We loved what we did. But God moved us back here in 2011 to join the mobilization department of OMF. This was just in time to see our daughter and our son get married uh, in 2011, 2012. And uh, But then we had the question, after 22 years in Japan, what does missions mobilization look like here in the US? So our mission, OMF, asked us to head up a new team that would help churches do missions well. That's why I'm here today, to encourage this church from God's Word to invest well in the Great Commission. Over the years, as a missionary, I've seen churches do lots of different things to get their people involved in the Great Commission. I'm going to divide today up into six groups, the six ways to reach God's world. Go, welcome, mobilize, send, pray, and learn. So let's look at them one at a time. Kathy and I were goers. We were serving cross-culturally, to take the good news to the lost. We were strongly influenced by the Lord's words in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We went to the ends of the earth and we studied Japanese language and culture, but over time now we've become very aware that the nations have also come here to the U.S. Samaria, in this verse, would probably be like your church sending some folks to Minneapolis to get to know Somalis, big Somali culture there. You, you too, of course, if you did that, would need to study culture, you need to ask questions, you need to be careful listeners just like we were when we went to Japan. Or maybe you would go with a campus minister that you know, maybe to the University of Wisconsin to meet Japanese students or Indians who are studying there. The important thing to remember is that if we don't cross those cultural barriers, and in many cases, geographical barriers, it's likely that many millions and millions of people will never even hear the name of Jesus or know about His great love for them. There just aren't enough Jesus followers in their cultures. Another important thing is that many of you already are and will in the future help your goers go. I'm going to illustrate that right now by using those other five ways with some stories of the people who influenced me in my going. It all started with welcoming for me. To welcome is to care for and befriend the nations who come to our city and our country to to work, to study, and to uh, have a new life. As I I stay in the book of Acts, we're going to find an example of this in Paul's welcoming of Aquila and Priscilla. Acts chapter 18. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. You see how this welcomer, Paul, how this welcomer didn't just wait for the foreigners to come to his church, he looked for opportunities to engage with them. He looked for ways of doing even the same job with them. He found ways to make sure that he was able to be with them on a regular basis. Randy, for us, was the welcomer that made a difference in my life, even before Kathy and I had made any plans to go overseas. He was a school teacher in our church who started an exchange program where we met our first Japanese exchange students who lived with us for a few weeks. Through this, we had a glimpse of what God might be calling us to do. We didn't know at that time. We started, it's like we got to know Japanese. I would never met a Japanese. I never even eaten Japanese food at that time. Back in the 80s, we didn't just have Japanese restaurants, which were either like, I was in Minneapolis, in, uh, in Milwaukee yesterday and went to the Happy Sumo restaurant, I think it was. It was delicious, but, you know, I didn't get to eat that kind of stuff before I went to Japan. So Randy never became a missionary, but he introduced us to the world. How could your church welcome the nations like Randy did? One practical idea, Invite, and by the way, I like to give practical ideas. I'm always coming with ideas. And so one thing is you can invite college students from different countries to cook for you, for your friends, maybe you put on a festival, a variety of food, a variety of cultural expressions. Just the colors and the smells are so wonderful for us to see. Or you could do something very practical like offer driving lessons for somebody who doesn't know how to drive here. Deliver furniture for refugees who have just come to our country. Kathy and I at that time, just as new married couple, we were learning about other cultures through this, through that kind of experience, but we needed a bigger push to get us overseas. We needed to be mobilized. To mobilize is to share the vision of God's mission so others can get motivated to get involved. Let's look at again at Acts Acts chapter 11, Barnabas. He mobilized Saul, who would later become Paul. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, strong in faith, and many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. As you realize, most of those people were taught by Saul Barnabas was the one who found somebody who was good at something, went and got them. I couldn't even imagine what it was like for him to go over to Tarsus, probably had to pay, his own, pay everything out of his own pocket. Tarsus was, I mean, Paul didn't have any money, so he probably had to pay for him to come all the way over there to Antioch, set him up, have a place for him to live, and all those things like that. That's what he did in mobilizing him to do the work. Jack and Darlene had been missionaries in Indonesia. They invited us over to their home. They cooked delicious Indonesian food for us. We loved it. We had a great time with them. We got to know them. We sat down with them. We asked them lots and lots of questions. They were very open with us about what it was like to live in another culture, raise family in another culture. We we were just having kids at the time. And so we needed to know, we needed to to be convinced that this is the kind of thing God could take care of us in this. So how could your church mobilize and encourage people to get involved in the Great Commission? Well, One thing I think about is a class on missions. I kind of have a soapbox when it comes to church programs. I love to teach. I love to learn God's Word. Uh, I've been involved in parenting classes, uh, child rearing, grandparenting. I'm a grandparent of seven. Uh, Financial management, done all those ones like that. I feel sad, though, that a lot of churches don't have any classes on missions. And so one of the results of that is that the American church... Is sending fewer and fewer workers across cultural barriers with the good news. For every goer, there need to be dozens and dozens of senders. To send is to give and encourage and logistically support workers. Let's look at chapter 13 of Acts. Look how the Antioch church sent their workers. There were in the church in Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Medean, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Do you see how committed that church was to sending their own workers? They even fasted to get ready for that. They wanted to hear what the Holy Spirit had to say for, to them about how their part was going to be. There, this wasn't a normal thing. There, you know, this wasn't a normal like, you know, Paul and Silas are just walking through town looking for people to support them to go. Nobody had gone out as missionaries before, really, in a way. And here, this church said, "We are going to send workers," and you know, they sent them long distances away. Now, I'm not saying it works this way today. What if Jesus said to your church, "For each person in this church who fasts one day a month, you're going to, I'm going to send a worker to the harvest." Again, I don't think God works in that. Uh, quid pro quo idea, but what if it happened? I think a lot of us would be looking around for someone else who would be willing to sacrifice to see some nations come to love Jesus. I'm not sure also if my elders fasted, but when they sent us out to Japan, they prayed passionately and often for us. This is the picture of our commissioning service. Lots of churches stop the practical work after the commissioning service. A lot of times people would say to us, you know, hey, you know, we're going to pray for you as you go off to Japan. And at that time, we didn't get to come home for four, over four years. Almost four and a half years later, we come home, and somebody actually asked us, how was it in China? That's a whole other country. Okay, so you obviously were praying for us in the wrong... Fortunately, God knew, you, so that's good. But yet one of our supporters, Frank, laid a concrete slab, built a shed in his backyard for us to store our memorabilia, our possessions that we couldn't take to Japan lots of dust, but no mold, when we unpacked it four years later on our first home assignment. He did that. He kept those things in there over the many years, and even when our kids were in college, he let them have space in that too. What What a great example, a practical way to add jewels to his crown. Speaking of jewels in the crown, we all know it's the prayer warriors who will have many of those, right? The work of God is done on our knees, to pray is to intercede regularly for a specific worker, a ministry, or people group. And I was thinking about Laura Henney as how she was sharing today in, uh, out there. I thought we should just stop right now and pray for her because I, I'm going to end up going home and not ever praying, and I better just do it right now. Could you join me? Lord Jesus, thank you for this opportunity that Laura has to go to Alaska, and I pray that you will use her the group that she's with, all of them, if you'll fill them with your spirit, help them to share the joy of Jesus with everybody they encounter and bring a piece of your kingdom right there so that people can see what it's like and want to know the Jesus that makes the kingdom possible. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Acts 12 is an example of this praying. When she, uh, you know that the story is that really kind of funny story in the Bible in which Peter is in jail. The angel comes and lets him out. So then he comes to this place where the people have been gathered to pray for him. He knocks on the door where well, the servant girls named Rhoda comes to the door. In chapter 12, when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When they kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. They must have had a lot of angels around that time. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Now, besides the obvious humor of the church gathered to pray for Peter's release and then not believing it when it happened, please notice one more practical thing about this. Their prayer time was truly sacrificial for the same people who arrested Peter could have broken into that room and taken them as well. Compare that to what happened in my church last month. I had six minutes to... uh, to inter- interview and pray for the missionaries that were there on furlough at the time. Now, we we're glad to have that. We needed the schedule, right? The schedules are important. But six minutes. Those who practice the way of prayer look for opportunities for more than six minutes. They're looking for ways they can learn about what's happening out there, even if they never go themselves. They're looking for ways they can pray until there is an answer. When you get a letter from someone who has left the safety and comfort of your fellowship and they've traveled to a weary land, always pray. Can I say that again? Always, when you get that letter, pray right away, and from time to time. What happened every time? From time to time, write back to them just quickly and say, "I read this. I'm praying for you. That's all. You don't have to make it a big deal." But I try to do that even now because I know how nice it feels because when we got people who would tell us they were praying, it was a wonderful feeling. Reminds me of Eileen who wrote us. This was back in the day when you wrote letters, right? She wrote us and she asked us for further info on all kinds of various things so that she could pray for us. I told her, a church's missions person, I said, you should give her money to pay for the postage so that she could keep doing what God has gifted her to do. It's a huge blessing. When you come back on a home assignment and a prayer partner comes up to you and says, how is Yasuko doing? That she prayed for her. And we could actually share with her Yasuko coming to know Jesus. Now we touched on going, welcoming, mobilizing, sending, and praying. The last one, when you think of learn, to explore and study what God has stirred up in your heart for mission, I think right away about Casey. Casey met me at a men's group in our church when we were in furlough back in 2006. He asked if he could stay in touch with us when we went back to Japan. And I said, sure, that's great. I wasn't really expecting it to happen because a lot of people said over the years they would do things. But every three or four months, Casey would contact me by Skype and he would ask questions about how things were going there in our ministry. After a few years, he left his job, started raising support to join InterVarsity so you could go on staff with international students in the city of Fresno. Those conversations we had were more important than reading a book for Casey. In Acts chapter 11, we see disciples scattering all over the Mediterranean coastlands after the persecution of Stephen. Some went 300 miles north to Antioch and they preached to the Gentiles. The Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Barnabas, name keeps coming up, doesn't it? You see, but this is the first time he was really a, this was a vision trip for him. He'd never done missionary work before. He didn't know what this was like. He goes there Just two chapters later, he's going to go with Saul on his first missionary journey. Maybe it all started when he saw what God was doing in the Antioch church and it got a hold of him and he was ready then when the Holy Spirit energized that to go to the nations. Any chance that your church is looking for practical ways to learn about missions? What about a class in Spanish if you want to send teams to Mexico? What about a religions and culture Uh, of the world fair, that you can learn how to pray wisely for people, particularly that are in very sensitive nations of the world, maybe in Central Asia. Learning about cultures and religions in a way that you'll never learn in in a class in school. You want to learn it from what God wants to teach you. Hopefully, you can see I get fired up about seeing each person in the body of Christ doing their part to make disciples among all the nations of the world. That would mean that the Great Commission wouldn't just be a little department of the church, but that it would infect every other part. And I'm also fired up because so much that I'm going to stop right now and I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to stir up your heart. We're not finished yet, but I want to just stop right now and pray about that part. Lord Jesus, we've talked about a lot of different ideas and I'm just thinking that it's very possible there could be some people right now who are thinking very practical things. They're thinking about something they might try to do for the Great Commission. And I pray that you will give them that energy to do it. You'll give them a, a, a creativeness. something. Lord, it just seems like that the, that the devil gets all the creative people. Well, that's not true. There are creative people in this church that need to be using their creative <laughs> gifts to bring glory to your name among the nations. And I pray that you'll help them to figure out what those are, figure out ways to do it in collaboration with you and the power of your Holy Spirit. And thank you for that, Jesus. Amen. Some of you are probably wondering if I'm trying to get you to feel guilty because you haven't done enough. Well, maybe preachers are always doing that to some extent, but actually the answer is no. You should ask God what He wants you to do, and then do that heartily unto Him. My job is just to share honestly about how to get involved in the Great Commission. But motivation is a very important question. Why do people get involved in the Great Commission in the first place? I've heard lots of motives for why people get involved. Some feel guilty because of all the things they have, and those people over there don't have anything. Or maybe they just feel in love. They're just in love with adventure, with culture. My daughter was like that. When she graduated from college, she went to Ethiopia for three years because she just loved culture. She'd grown up in Japan, she loved that. Other people, though are saying more about being obedient to the Great Commission. Let me tell you a little bit about my own story. I grew up in a church that preached missions. I heard the command to go into all the world to preach the gospel, and I was reminded from time to time that the needs were overwhelming, that there were billions of people that were dying without Christ. And, of course, I was challenged to love those people because Jesus loved them. I remember praying for lists. They would give us lists of people groups. I'd try to work up some kind of sorrow for those people that I was never going to meet because they were lost. So I go to Japan. 20 years I'm there. Hard work showing God's love for people. But those three motivations, command, need, and love, they weren't always good enough. When I got tired, I saw very little fruit, and sometimes I just wanted to go home. I began to wonder if these people even deserve to know the Jesus that I loved because they kept saying no to Him. I remember particularly a time I got on the train and I looked around. You've seen maybe some pictures of what it's like on a crowded train in Japan. On that train, probably as I'm thinking, there are hundreds of people, probably none of them, maybe one, has any idea of what it means to have a relationship with the God who made them. But then in the, middle, the mid-90s, somebody gave me a book by John Piper called Let the Nations Be Glad. I highly uh, recommend that. I, I realize as reading it that the only pure and lasting motivation for missions is that Jesus would receive all the glory. little short passage from the book. The highest of missionary motives is neither obedience to the Great Commission nor love for sinners who are alienated and perishing, but rather zeal, burning, and passionate zeal for the glory of Jesus Christ. I realized I'd been on the field. Somehow I missed it. I don't know. I mean, it wasn't as if I never got it. It's just that for some reason it wasn't my motivation. In all the years of my church work back home as a pastor, all the years of missions preparation, getting to the field, I was not understanding that foundational truth Now I say it often because in some ways I want to discourage those right now who are thinking maybe God's calling you to be a missionary. I want to discourage you until that is your motivation. I began to ask God, increase my passion for His glory so that my compassion, because we're all compassionate. Christians are amazingly compassionate. In Japan, after the earthquake and tsunami in 2011... Which we were there for, but then we came back home at that, uh, right after that. And then when we went back on a short term team, we take the short term team back to some of the area where the tsunami hit. And we go to the people there, and the people, uh, they come up to us, and they, I couldn't believe it. Japanese people never do this. Walked up to me and said, Are you Christians? And we said, Why are they asking us that question? They said, Because the only people who still come three years later are the Christians and the communists. So compassion is something we're born; it just boils inside us constantly. But p- compassion is not enough. I wanted that to come from, to flow out of a passion for God and His glory. As a result, I began to spend more time in prayer and praise, worship. And I didn't feel like I was just wasting my time. I began to read the Bible differently. I saw all the places that God says He will receive glory from the nations. Somehow I'd missed that. I mean, I read the Bible all the way through. How could I miss Psalm 96? Sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. Was he just using hyperbole here? No. The psalmist really meant this. God had given him a glimpse of that kind of glory. I found myself loving the people even when they didn't respond. I think my preaching changed. I began to spend more time talking about how wonderful God is. I began to be caught up in the wonder of adoring the Almighty. I wanted to share the wonder, that wonder, with every single person in the world. Worshiping the Almighty God should produce a joy in me, right? I want everyone else to have that joy as well, right? It's like when one of my kids did well in basketball. I wanted every other person in the gym to know, that's my kid! I lift up my Savior in the same way? I began to realize that every place that the nations don't worship God is a dark place, not because they are awful people there, but because God deserves to be worshiped in all those places. Ever thought about that? That when we're in the midst of some super engaging worship like the ones that we just had right here, thank you very much, uh, the worship team here, they take the time I really feel like that was one of the main things, just letting us soak in that, really good and really worship, not as if we had to hurry to the next thing. I really felt that this morning. But think, is that great? But think about it. Remember that many people in the world not only have never had that experience, but they are not going to have that experience because no one's going to ever tell them about the, the God who created them and loves them dearly. They don't know what it means to be intimate with that kind of God of love. I do missions because I want every person in the world to get lost in worship like I can here. It's His honor. Remember that. It's God's honor that is being profaned. I don't have to keep working up a love for the people that I don't know. I don't have to try to make myself feel guilty that I don't do more. We fall more in love with Jesus. The things that break His heart are going to break ours. Our, so if we focus on Jesus, His glory, His kingdom, we're going to delight in Him. I really believe it. Today, the, the first song had the word glad in it. It reminded me of uh, my, my uh, quiet time this morning, Psalm 86.4, gladden the soul of your servant. A few verses later, here's the reason. Here's the gladden your, the soul of your servant. A few verses later... All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord. You see, it's so easy for us to get selfish, right? I want the gladness because I just love to be glad. Isn't it great to be happy? I love to be a person who can smile and enjoy. I, have, I love my grandkids. I love the time I'm with, my kids and them. We have a great time, but I need to remember, gladden the heart of your servant, Lord, so that all the nations you have made shall come and worship before you. There's a reason. How big is the task? How are our resources doing? Well, about one-third of the world right now has never had an opportunity to worship Jesus. It means we still need all hands on deck to accomplish that kind of a task. I'm reminded of what a missions director just told our team a few days ago. This next generation bleeds for injustice, so our global missions efforts need to show that what we're doing is ultimately great for the world, and life-changing, as well as a part of a discipleship pathway and an act of obedience. As I talk with people, this is what this mission director said, as I talk with people, I'm seeing that there's so much skepticism about any measure of U.S. superiority complex where we come to save people, or that the trips are more for us than for the people that we came to serve. Are we convinced that taking the gospel across the culture is great for the world? If you're not convinced of that, don't do it then. If it's not going to be life-changing for them, I should say, if it's not life-changing for you, don't go over there and try to export it. First of all, let it change you here, and then take it. It would be easy to be negative, to want to give up, but when I look at the Great Commission, I see these words. All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me, that's Jesus, therefore go and make disciples of the nations." The church, that's you and me, we're promised that we have all the skills and the resources that we need to do what He asked us to do. The proof of that is in Revelation 7. And then, after this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every tribe, nation, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That means that I can have hope. The Great Commission is going to be fulfilled. All the nations are going to be there around the throne worshiping and enjoying His presence forever. Of course, it also means I have a wonderful job to do. I get to come to churches like this. By the way, a very welcoming church. Thank you very much. To encourage you to find your place in that life-changing challenge. So let's wrap up with three quick points, God's Word, God's world, and God's work. From a little book from the Center for Missions Mobilization, I highly recommend this as well. First of all, soak in God's Word until you are convinced that the nations need to hear. Psalm 67, May God be gracious to us, bless us, make His face shine on us. Isn't that wonderful? So that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Bathe yourselves in prayer. Then look around God's world and see all the things that His people are doing to finish the Great Commission. Find Bible translators. One of our friends now is working with Trans World Radio in Guam. He's a when he when he retired, he was a radio man. That was what he had done for years and years and years. Next thing he didn't even know about these things existed. He found out that there is Trans World Radio, and he's now going over and helping them with the towers that these giant towers that broadcast the message of Christ into all of of Southeast Asia, China, North Korea. He said he could not have imagined that all the preparation he did, all those 45 years working in that thing now, look what he's doing. He loves it. Find church planters. Find people that are working on all kinds of, whether it's uh, malaria and water projects, uh, whether it's taking care of children, whatever kind of project is. find those people so you can pray for them. Then, ask the Father what great commission work He wants you to do personally. I am this church. So the best way then to do that is to do it with all your heart, strength, and share that with other people. Be accountable to somebody else. Tell somebody else that that's what you're going to try doing. If we've been transformed by His love, we want every person from the highest mountain in the Himalayas, to the darkest jungles of the Amazon, from the poorest village in Africa to the richest mansions in Sweden. We want them to fall on his or her knees before the Creator and give Him thanks and praise. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing to see that happening? Would you pray right now with me that that will happen? Lord Jesus, I feel very privileged to be here with Word of Grace this morning. That they've given me the chance to share your word. I pray that the word of God will say to someone today to do what you've called them to do. Whether it's learning, praying, going, sending, welcoming, or mobilizing. That somehow, Lord, they'll find it, they'll do it with all their strength, and they'll do it in the power of your spirit. But Lord, I also pray, Lord, that that there will be... I'm just looking forward to the day when we all stand before the throne and, and others, maybe people who have been influenced by this church will be able to come up and say thank you that this church did what you called them to do. So I pray for this church. I pray for the leadership here to be able to make good, wise decisions and to do it all for your glory so that your name will be known in the whole world. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.
2: We're going to respond to this message. If you'd like to sit and pray or if you'd like to stand and sing. We just welcome you. <laughs> if it's bad